it's the world But it couldn't fill me Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough Then you came along And put me back together Every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. 
Good morning. My name is Daniel. I am uh, the, the, what am I, lead pastor, senior pastor here. And um, we have an interesting, so we're finishing our sermon series that we've been working on through the summer. We're actually going to be starting the book of Ephesians next week. Labor Day is a terrible time to start a brand new sermon series because none of you will be here. You'll be at the beach probably, and that's okay. But for those of us who will be here, we will be starting a new sermon series verse by verse throughout the book of Ephesians that should last us right up until uh, Christmas. Um, And so more on that next week. I'm really excited for that. But today we are going to be uh, concluding our summer series, sermon series, which has been God, life, and our expectations with kind of a part two from last week where we talked about the return of Christ, Matthew 24. And today we're talking about the new heavens and the new earth. And I've called this sermon, uh, the city of God versus the city of man, maybe a tale of two cities, right? It's a unique kind of sermon. So just bear with me as we work through this. We'll eventually land in Revelation uh, 21. So if you have a Red Pew Bible, feel free to turn to Revelation 21. Um, that page number for those who uh, get, uh, get lost in, in the, the brevity of the Bible is page 1230 is where we will eventually wind up. And so the book of Revelation, if you've read it, it can be rather um, interesting. Can we say that? Uh, there's a lot of really wild stuff in the last book of the Bible that people debate endlessly over. It begins with um, letters to the seven churches. These churches were actually found in some pretty major uh, urban cities in the ancient Roman Empire. You can read those early chapters, Revelation, see what Jesus had to say to those churches. And as he was speaking to cities, the rest of what follows Revelation, which I said, I know it's a lot, it's very complex, maybe one day we'll actually work through it as a church. But God talks a lot about cities all throughout the rest of the book, and especially focusing towards the end of the book on the city which is called Babylon in the book of Revelation. And then it's it's, uh, proceeded with the city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem that is coming down to meet earth at the end of all time. And the ancients, really, uh, the time that this book was written, which was, you know, you know, John wrote it at the latter half of the first century AD, the ancients, the Greeks, the Romans, they imagined that the best way to fully understand how to live as humans and to flourish as humans was really only possible within a context of a city. They imagined, you know, the public life that was available with all of its culture the arts, the public interactions, and all the life that surfaced there, that um, it really tested parts of us as people. And so kind of an, an idea project, which if, you, if you're nerdy and read all the old you know, philosophers of those times, they had a question saying, can we build a perfect city? Is it possible to build a perfect city? And in a way, the book of Revelation is picking up on that question. Is it possible on this earth to build the perfect city? What are the things that get in the way of that? Ultimately, what is God's plans? 
will he one day build a perfect city on earth? And the answer is he will, and also he is. And we'll get to that here in a minute. When we talk about the end of the world and the return of Christ, as we said last week, it, it can lend itself to fearful conversations. You know, stars falling from the sky and suffering and, and war and, and, you know, all these sorts of you know, eternal condemnation. Those things are definitely all throughout the book of Revelation. You know, judgment is real. However, when the Bible speaks of the topic of the end of all things, it does speak of the judgment that is to come, but it also casts a vision for you and I that means something for us today. The vision of the heavenly city that is to come, that already has, in a way, come, and it speaks of this, this constant call to pull ourselves out of and above the things of the city of man, the city of this world, the city of the evil one that even today is still being built among us. So if you're here this morning, I want you to reflect on your own life and story for a moment, just for a moment. And I want you to think about those parts of your own story that are broken, that were hard, stories maybe in your own life of addiction, of violence, of, of sickness, of sexual disorder and chaos and abuses of power and perhaps injustice. All of us have something like that a part of our story because we live in a broken world. I had a professor once that used to say that it is impossible to live this life without, at the end, having the scars that shone. But however, thousands of years ago, when a little boy was born in Bethlehem, when the world was darkened by the Romans and their efforts to build a global city of man to globally dominate the world through mere power and strength and war and intimidation, God himself broke into human history. And he brought a glimpse of heaven with him. After the baptism of Jesus and the temptation in the wilderness, Matthew tells us that immediately Jesus began preaching. And what was the message they began preaching? The message he preached the most about, the topic that he talked the most of during his three years when he walked this earth that was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now what did he mean? by the kingdom of heaven. That's what he spoke of the most. What was he talking about? What does it mean to repent? Repent means you're facing this way and you turned that way. That's literally what you do. Like if you make a U-turn on the streets in the traffic light, you just repented, right? That's what that literally means. Like you, you just turned the opposite direction and Jesus was calling on all around them to turn. It was the time to turn. To do a 180, it means to alter and even perhaps reverse your will to an entirely new direction. And why? Because the kingdom of God was breaking into the world. And that was the primary message Jesus taught. 
And if you read the Gospels, you see him healing people, loving people, literally raising people from the dead, open the eyes of the blind, extending compassion on the down and outs of society, speaking hard and difficult truths to those who had positions of wealth and power and were clinging to them as idols for their own selfish gain. And when people met Jesus, everything changed for them. And but little did they really know or understand throughout the process that they were interacting not only with the Messiah, but with God in flesh. And the kingdom of heaven, the place where God himself rules and reigns, a place that we might call the city of God, was breaking into this world, the city of man. And Jesus told parables to talk about this. And you can find these in Mark chapter 4. One parable that uh, is really interesting, right? It's called the parable of the mustard seed. And it goes like this. Jesus teaching, he says, To what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to present it? It is like a mustard seed that when sown in the ground, even though it is the smallest Of the seeds in the ground, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all garden plants and grows large branches so that the wild birds can nest in its shade. So most of us haven't planted mustard seeds, right? But um, I can run parallel to the year that I first tried, like my, my, my garden at my house, which was, I don't know, four or five years ago. And I thought in this tiny little garden, it'd be a wonderful thing to plant pumpkins in this little garden. And what happens, Mark Hastings, when you plant pumpkins in a tiny garden? What happens? The leaves. Oh, it just absolutely dominates. And everything was dead eventually because all I had was pumpkin leaves. I didn't get any pumpkins either. That's all I got. The thing just took over completely. That's what Jesus is saying. A pumpkin seed is not very big, you know, this big. But boom, this thing gets massive. And he's saying, that's like the kingdom of God. It's going to start small, but you won't believe how big this thing is going to get. You won't believe just how this will reach and permeate every nation on earth. And he was teaching this to his, the crowds around him. So the kingdom of God starting small and growing and growing and growing And then Jesus wearing a crown of thorns, abandoned by almost all, except just a few of his disciples, that Jesus was brutally murdered by the powers and authorities of his day. And I think rightly so, people started questioning and lost faith, right? I thought he said the kingdom was here. I thought that like a king rules and reigns. I thought our king will wear a crown of gold, not a crown of thorns. How can this be our leader to lead us forward? And how can we grow if our leader is dead? Little did the disciples know that it was precisely his death that was the seed of that kingdom. And little did they expect what would happen just three days later. One of my favorite stories that I can just imagine if I was alive in those days, like that would be me, is found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. There's two guys walking. One is Cleopas, and I don't believe we get the other guy's name. And this is after the resurrection of Christ. And it's after that some people had seen the empty grave, but nobody quite 
understood. Like, why was it empty? Did somebody just steal his body? I don't know. It's interesting. But these two guys that are on the road to Emmaus, and most scholars believe that's probably where they were from. That was their hometown that, that they had left sometime prior to follow Christ. But Christ was, he was, he died. So it's time to go back home. These two were just going back to how life was before, not understanding what was going on. And they were talking about all of the amazing events of the death, unexpected death of Jesus in the empty tomb. And it says that they were walking, I'm paraphrasing some of this, they were talking and walking about this. Another guy kind of strolls up behind them. It was the resurrected Lord. He had risen from the grave, but they did not immediately recognize him in his new state. His body was different. It was changed. They did not recognize him initially. And Jesus, you got to, you know, he's funny sometimes. Like you don't imagine Jesus is funny, but sometimes he really is. He walks up, he goes, oh, what are you guys talking about? Who's this Jesus guy you're talking? I hear you talking about this Jesus guy. Tell me the story. What happened? And they're like, really? Like, everybody knows what happened. Are you the only person that doesn't know what just happened like this past weekend, right? Um, uh, this, this guy was here, and they're talking to Jesus right there. He was here, and he's talking about the kingdom of God and talking about he's performing signs and miracles. I really thought the Messiah was here to redeem Israel, but then he was murdered. But even interestingly enough, this morning, people told us that his grave was empty, but oh, we're just going back home. We're done. And then Jesus, you can almost see like a tad bit of frustration come out. He's like, oh, really, guys? Like, I tried to tell you, you should expect. Like, I, I, did you not listen to what I, I told you this one? Okay. So, and we have what he says. He says he opened up, he didn't have a Bible like this, but he opened up the scriptures and he told them, I think the greatest Bible study ever, all the things in this Bible and how it pointed to himself. And eventually, as that story goes, they realized that it was Jesus himself. Jesus, he, he didn't make a massive public appearance in his resurrected state. He appeared to a small group here, a small group there. He did eventually appear to 500 people at once. We know that. But however, in that time, Jesus was just tilling the soil to plant that small mustard seed of his kingdom, of his city that he is about to rule and reign in. And we'll talk about that as we move forward. Jesus then... Um, at the back of Luke, at the beginning of Acts, he gathers his, his disciples for some last words before he ascends back unto heaven. He opens up their minds to understand and connect all these dots of what is going on about himself. And Luke records the end of the conversation like this from Jesus's mouth at the beginning in, uh, beginning in chapter 24 in Luke. It says, thus it stands, verse 45, it stands written that the Christ or the Messiah would suffer and would rise on the third day, um, rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Talking to his disciples, you are my witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what the Father promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The seed of the kingdom was about to experience some explosive growth. And so in Acts 1, as the story continues, they still didn't quite get it. Like, Jesus, so now is the time you're like restoring the kingdom of Israel and like you're going to take up the throne in Jerusalem and like rule and reign just like the, you're going to overthrow the Romans and that's going to happen now, right? And he's like, oh, no, 
Like there's, a, there's, there's times for those things in the future, but that, that's not right now. However, you guys hang out here because you're about to receive power from on high. You're about to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you will take up that job of being my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Samaria, and to the farthest places on the earth. So standing on the Mount of Olives, Jesus lifted back into heaven. You can imagine the disciples. It says they were just staring up, just like, whoa, this is crazy. And you imagine them kind of staring, and suddenly the angels, like, right beside them. They're like, guys, what did he tell you to do? To stare in the sky? He just said, get back to the city. Like, what are you doing? He'll come back one day right here. That's, he's on, what are you doing? Let's go. We got something going on. So they go back. About 120 of the followers, they're, they're hanging out and they're praying. And some days after, they indeed received the Spirit of God. And it happened right on a high holy day in Jerusalem when the city was just crowded with people from all over the Roman Empire that spoke many different languages. And the, and the initial sign of the Spirit coming and falling on this day of Pentecost was that these early followers began to speak in languages that they did not know, but many in the crowd outside heard. Keep in mind, Jesus said, all nations will receive the witness of God. It happened right here. The beginning of that happened right here. They went out on this porch and started proclaiming the glories of God. And people were like, this is, what is going on? Are they, are they drinking? It's nine o'clock in the morning. What is going on? And then Peter stood up and said something very interesting. He preached a sermon in which he said, the last days are here. He says, the end of time has come. The final days have come, just like Joel said, the prophet Joel in the Old Testament, many centuries before, he said, the last days are here, Jerusalem. Everybody listen, like this is, is happening. Because in the last days, God said through the ancient prophet Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all people and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. I will pour out my spirit and perform wonders on the earth below. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will be changed to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And thousands were saved that day. And that seed of God's kingdom exploded into growth. And because they spoke many languages from all over the empire, they all went home into their various parts of the empire. And it's just the beginning of the spread of Jesus and his rule over his people. So what ultimately happened on Pentecost was the beginnings of what Jesus actually taught us to pray for. What is that line in the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. The power of heaven, God's spirit, was unleashed on all who placed their faith in Jesus, who turned from their sins and embraced Jesus as their Lord and the spirit of God filled them as he filled them. And as they turned from their sin, they repented and turned from their sin, their wills, their, their, their desires and their longings began the slow and lifelong process of being aligned unto God's will. And that is his work in this world. Not perfectly, we all know in our life, will never be perfect. But that is that lifelong work that God is renewing us and he is shaping us to where he takes up residence as king over our own hearts. 
And however, we must understand God's work in this world among human beings that started out as that little seed in Jerusalem spreading to Samaria, then to the ends of the world, which is still spreading today. And we can call that that God is kind of building like a city within a city in this world, person by person, stone by stone. Because of this reality, wherever a person, whenever a person meets Jesus and they receive the Holy Spirit's Another image bearer of God is redeemed and they are transferred to a new kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus from the old kingdom of darkness, says Colossians 1. And they become citizens of heaven, says Philippians 3 verse 20. But we know heaven's not fully on earth, right? But our citizenship is like, it's not here. It's been transferred to heaven. It's somewhere else, but we're still here. Like we're still living day to day. In other words, God's church on earth is that growing mustard seed of God's city, but not like uh, the buildings downtown here that's found in one little geographical area. When we think of city, that's what we normally think. But God's city is you and I. It's wherever we go, we're his walking temple carrying his presence with us as he is constantly renewing and reshaping us and growing us. You are carrying his image around. You are carrying his presence around. And thus, where God sits as king in your own life is a little glimpse. When your will is renewed, you're just giving those people around you a little glimpse of what life may be like in heaven and what it will be like when he returns over all of this world. If you are a Christian this morning, I want you to, under, to, to slow down here. I want to, to reiterate these things. This is important for us to understand. Where this church is found, God's presence is found. Like the God of all things, where his church is found, his presence is found. One of my favorite Bible teachers defines God's kingdom as God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. So however, however imperfectly we may live, if you are a Christian this morning, you belong to God and you are under his rule and you are receiving his blessings and wherever God's church is found, there's a glimpse of God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven a little shadow of heaven itself. The, wor- the world rages, says the psalm. We preached on that a while back. We know that even right now, all around the world, as we prayed earlier, strife is alive and well. Kings plotting and scheming. Sin and brokenness still fills this world, longing to be redeemed, as Romans 8 says. And one by one, as God's kingdom grows, as more embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God is still claiming people for himself. One person at a time, lives are redeemed. The brokenness of our sin is forgiven. We are washed clean by his spirit and we are clothed with power from on high. We become selfless people of love as we worship and submit our will to God. God's city grows as the city of man rages on. So I want to get practical here. I, I tried to tell that in somewhat of a story form, okay, to get you, you know, because 
the church is part of God's work in this world, and we are in the end of days, according to Peter, and that's true. Like, this is the la- there's not another stage after this. Like, when Christ returns, like, it's, it's the end. Like, there isn't anything else. Like, this is, these are the last days. God's work in this world through the church is the final stage of his plan of redemption before he comes to make all things new. And as we are about to see, as we are, are helping to, to build his city in little pockets of his city all over this globe and in Wilmington, it is only a glimpse of what is to come. When we see the violence in the city of man out there in this world and kingdoms toppled in war and death and destruction, it's just a glimpse of the judgment that is coming to Babylon. That's what John called the city of man in Revelation We must understand these things if we are to understand questions like, what are we to do as a church? Like, why are we here, right? Uh, uh, If if, if you're a Christian, you don't just like, God doesn't just go like, all right, boom, taking you out of the world, you're saved, you're out of here, done. Like, no, 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 you're you're saved unto something, right? We know that you're you're, you're in heaven, we know it's going to happen when you die if you're a Christian, but you're still here. Which God is like, God is telling, it's like, I, I have work for you guys to do. Like, I, I need you to be my witnesses. I need you to be here. I have something for you to do. So these are very important questions for us to try and wrestle with. It's an interesting book of Acts. It ends, like, mid-story. You're reading it, and it's just like you're reading the story, and it's like, well, I must be missing, like, the rest of the chapters. Like, what's going on? And people think Luke left the book incomplete because it's still being written today. God is still birthing new people into his church and he is still saving and redeeming souls today. We're still participating in that work today. And that work is guided by the end of days. As we close our time today, hope you're still following me. I want to look at the book of Revelation in chapter 21 because John doesn't just tell us about the end of days, but he gives us that future story in order to further instruct us today as a church. And he does so by that tale of two cities. I want to look at the city of Babylon and look at this heavenly city of the new Jerusalem on the back end of our sermon today. As we said at the beginning of our time today, Revelation began with seven letters to seven churches. Most of them had problems. If you read them, it's like churches still struggle with the stuff they struggle with. And even though each of those churches were glimpses of God's city, Yet the city of man, the world around them had deeply influenced them. Perhaps we can say even infiltrated those churches. So much so that even with the church in Laodicea, it said that Jesus was like just knocking, saying like, I'm not even in your church anymore, Laodicea. Like I'm not even here and I'm banging on the door. I can't even get in here. Like that's how bad things were for some of these early churches. But part of John's elaborate visions included at the end the city of Babylon falling. That very city that was influencing the church and trying to give God's people over to selfish and indulgent living, taking on new lords and false gods and bringing destruction and wreckage and death to their lives. One day, says John, that city of Babylon will be once and for all destroyed. For that original audience, they would have been thinking like the Roman Empire because that was, that P- even Peter called Rome Babylon in the first book, his first letter, right? Um, uh, the city of Babylon, though, is bigger than just Rome because Rome is no longer with us. It's, it's, it's a symbolic 
of all the kingdoms of this world that are trying to figure out this human life apart from God and are participating in the deeds of darkness. As we know, it is raging all around us today. But Jesus was clear. He said, be in the world, but not of it. That's what he said. You're, you're within all this stuff. Like my, my city has little pockets all around and the city of man's around you, but you're, you're there, but you're not of it because your citizenship is in somewhere else. In Revelation 18, God, uh, John finally saw this, this global city of Babylon ultimately says it belongs to Satan is finally falling. And I want to read this to you in Revelation 18, beginning of verse one. It says this. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. If you just imagine what kind of angel, I'm sure one of the archangels or something, with a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great! She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable thing. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her and her merchants of the earth grew rich for her excessive luxuries. And it goes on and on. We have a clear call. If you're the original audience reading Revelation, the seven churches are reading this. There's a clear call from God right in verse four in chapter 18. John said, I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people. Come out of her that she may not share in her sins, that she will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. As the chapter continues, it's just thick with poetic language describing the fall of Babylon, the fall of the city of man, and the earth just mourning for all the things that are lost when they see it collapsing and will cry together, woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon city of power. In one hour, your doom has come. I say these things, church, because we must keep our eyes on heaven. You must realize your citizenship is in heaven. If you are here this morning and in your life, you are reaping deeds of darkness and death when the door is shut and you are quietly bringing destruction onto your life and you are here just like stuffing it down thinking I'm going to pretend like nobody knows about it and I'm going to pretend like it's not even in my life and just smile and worship God and not like I'm just going to cling to that and tuck it away. You're destroying yourself. But no sin is too far for God to forgive. No sin is too dark for God to redeem and to reverse. If that is you this morning, are you willing to lay that out before him? These are, these are warnings, friends. He is coming to judge that and remove it from this world. But a window of opportunity is still here for you to turn from those things. Even if you know Jesus this morning and he's like that church in Laodicea, he's been knocking at your door and you know that he's been knocking, but you're just like kind of try, slowly doing this, let him in. He is full of grace upon grace. As we move on, Revelation 19, 21 the final judgment of that city of man, it will come quickly. It will come fast. 
It says, then one powerful angel picked up a stone like a huge millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with this kind of sudden violent force, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down. Yet as God will indeed bring final judgment to the city of man, Babylon the great, even then his work is not done. Friends, know his work is not done because his city will finally come. The city of God, heaven itself, even now it's, it's rushing to earth. And John tells us that in that day Satan is finally defeated. He's the, the, the great serpent and the accuser is cast into the lake of fire along with that beloved city that he has controlled. And Revelation 27 speaks of it. Then God will sit on his glorious throne. He will cast the final judgment. And all who have rejected God and his son Jesus will join Satan in the eternal lake of fire. And then we reach our glorious conclusion in which we will finally look at our text today, and it won't be very long, in which all of our longings and all of our hopes arise. John looked, and we pick up our story in Revelation chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, read along with me. After all of these grand and spectacular events, John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. Like his physical dwelling, not just his spirit, but he himself. Like you could walk up to him. That day is coming, friends. He will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. No more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. It is here, John tells us, that a great and glorious wedding feast happens. God's people are joined together with him in perfection, and the world is emptied of all of its evil. It shone brightly, the city is with the glory of God, the river of life, it flows out of the city, bringing leaves and, and fruit to trees throughout all the entire year, every year. The seas of his kingdom reach their full and everlasting growth. As we conclude our time today, I want to explain exactly why I preached the way that I did this morning. I, I, I wanted to stir your imagination. I know maybe some of you are, most of you are adults in this room. Like, my imagination is a kindergarten. Like, no, no, no. Like, we all need our imagination stirred because where your imagination is is where the longings and desires of your heart is. The things you dream about and long for, it matches the yearnings of your heart. And we need to have our imagination stirred by these things. We need to read this and say, yes, Lord, we want that. All because he is saying, but now be a glimpse of this. Like if you're longing for this day to come, like I'm, I'm renewing you now and go out and be a, a glimpse of this renewal that is to come now. Like let these things just like consume you within that your life becomes just a mirror and a reflection of this future God, uh, the work of God that is coming. 
We are entering into a season of change here. And I'm aware of this, and perhaps for some at this church, it might be a confusing time. For some of you, you've been here for uh, longer than I've been alive. It might be difficult, and I understand that, right? For others, it's just absolutely exciting. But I'm trying to cast this vision towards you because I pray that as we take steps forward as a church in whatever ways that we can, that we can be a glimpse of that future renewing and redeeming work of God that is coming into this world because there's an amazing thing that he says in Revelation chapter 21. In verse 5 it says, he who is seated on the throne, he said, I am making everything new. It doesn't say, I will make everything new. Did you catch that? He is making everything new. That work is happening right now. So church, don't lose hope. Personally this morning, if that's you, don't lose hope in your life. If you think of renewing this church and rebuilding this church, if you feel like, how can I bust it up me, be used for some kind of work like this, as God says, oh, you have no idea what I want to use, why you have no idea what I have in store for you. Because his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness to us. And he said, he said, write this down, John, for these words are trustworthy and true. He says, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost the spring from the spring of the water of life. I want to call our worship team up this morning as we close. A few weeks ago we did this, and I'm going to encourage it um, as, we, as we sing this final song. If you sat here and you felt stirred, and you feel like God has just spoke something to you. I want to take just a time of response. Uh, we can have some people up front here um, to pray. If you want to come up and pray, that would be fine. But I really encourage you, if you've came with somebody this morning with your family, or there's somebody sitting next to you, I encourage you to, to scoot forward. Pray with one another. Maybe you just sit and you just kind of sit in silence and just maybe have your scriptures open as a song plays. You just let God speak to your heart. Maybe you grab somebody next to you and you, and you have to repent of some of these things that you need to let go of. Or you, just sit, or you stand and you worship along or you come forward for prayer. Whatever it might be, I just encourage you to please respond this morning. Pray for one another. Pray for this church. Pray for this city. Pray for our nation. Let this be a time of just prayer. In response, God is not done here. He is not done with you. And I pray if you heard anything this morning that you have heard that. So let me, um, let me pray and we'll enter into this time of response. Jesus, um, Lord, in my feeble efforts to try to just, you know, restate all the beautiful things that are stated in the scriptures, Lord, of this, this grand work that you are doing and will finally do. In my feeble attempts, Lord, I just pray that you were glorified and, and Lord, that your word was, was spoken clearly and truthfully. Lord, I pray that your spirit will be at work in this room in the next few minutes.
For those grabbing their neighbor and praying with them or praying in silence alone or standing and worshiping, whatever it may be, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do a work here this morning in the hearts of your people. Would you soften our hearts and give us open ears just to listen to you, Lord. If we have just clogged our ears with our own selfish will and ambitions, Lord, just pull those things out and maybe we do that 180 turn this morning and just, uh, just give our will over to you, Lord. We thank you. As you left this earth, you said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And we cling to that truth this morning, Lord, that you have not left us. You have not forsaken us. So Jesus, please be at work this morning in the hearts of your people as we close. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's rise to our feet.
filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, at the mansion of your name. Jesus, your name.